Today's conversation is full of energy and optimism. We're talking with Chris Janklovsky, the author of Near Death Lessons. We're going to talk about the many ways he's nearly died, the lessons he's learned from these experiences, and lessons he wants you to learn to live a more deliberate and happy life. The book is a great gift, perfect for dad, any dad in your life, especially with Father's Day coming up. But it's great for a birthday. It's great for New Year's, a New Year's gift. It's great for any time. But more importantly is listening to Chris is really going to get your smile wider, your blood pumping, get your day going. His energy is incredibly infectious. So with that said, let's join our conversation with author Chris Janklovsky. I am incredibly excited today because we have an Amazon author with us. He, incredible story. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming to this show. I'm excited for the conversation. Congratulations on your new book, Near Death Lessons. Thank you. It's been a journey to get it out there, but uh, I am so honored to be uh, privileged uh, to do this work. It is an inspiring and a motivating book, and I would say equally important is not only is it inspiring and it's motivating, but for somebody who wants to wants to break through, you actually give us the lessons that you use to accomplish it so we can follow those lessons as well and really create the life we want to have. Um, we're going to talk about victim mentality. We're going to talk mm-hmm. about living a deliberate life. We're going to get shoulder mm-hmm. deep in those ideas and much more. Uh, but before we get started, I wanted to share a little bit with you just to have an idea so you know who you're talking to, who the audience mm-hmm. is, who's listening and watching these videos. Great. Mm-hmm. So our audience is, it's more than half are business owners themselves. And in some okay. cases, that's some with a side hustle, like an e-commerce business, a Shopify kind of mm-hmm. business. But another section of that is seven and eight figure business owners who they follow us because of our wine reviews, our fine dining reviews, our Broadway reviews. So a lot of people who are watching and listening today are people who are into mindset, who are constantly looking. And as a result, I think they're going to love our conversation today. So um, this is exciting. Um, so if you don't mind, let's start talk, uh, from the author side of you. Can you tell us, mm-hmm. you have written a very personal book. What was the mm-hmm. hardest part of writing the book for you? Everyone, those who know me have always, for over a decade, I, I've had friends tell me, Chris, you got to write a book, man. Seriously, you've got some wild stories. Can you imagine the stories I shared in the book? Uh, probably like just... You know, I could write a whole book on just my wild days. <laughs> and, and, and I gave away that many stories. And and um, so I had the brain operation. It almost killed me with the tuna bursted in my head. I couldn't walk, couldn't talk. I was in bed for three months. And 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 I knew that the moment I could sit upright on it, you know, just sitting upright takes energy. And I couldn't do that for more than 10 minutes before I had to go back to bed and be flat. And I said, the moment I can stand upright, I'm gonna, I want to write a book for my sons. I want them to know who their father was because yet again, I just confronted a serious adversity where 60% of people normally die on the operating table. I somehow survived it. 
I'm the one of the lucky 40%. And I, and I just had my operation one month before the birth of my second son, Billy. And I wanted my, new, my six-year-old and my new son to know who their father was because I didn't know how long I've got to live again. I couldn't type though because all my left side, this is how my left side works, 50 years, six years now. <laughs> and so I couldn't type at the time. I couldn't barely talk. I couldn't even breathe properly. So I just hired a personal assistant because I'm in the business of hiring staff. And I just said, look, I'm going to rant. I'm going to share stories. I, I don't have the energy and vigor that I have now back then. I was like, oh, <laughs> I, was, I was virtually broken, mate. I was really in a bad way. And I just said, look, I don't know what we're doing. We just, I, I don't have any agenda. I just going to share these stories. And what I want you to do is capture the stories, tighten them up, and put them in a chronicle order. I'll give you a timeline of my, of, you know, from when I'm born to now. We'll not, we'll, we'll plot it all. And then we're going to give it to a ghostwriter. And we want a ghostwriter who's going to be somehow able to direct our story, somehow put this thing together. And then we will, you know, feel they're going to give us the bones. Then we'll put the muscles in it and then we'll build it all up. And that's the journey I went on. Uh, until I gave it to an editor who completely shut it down. <laughs> and, it, and it took me about a, a year to to correct everything. No kidding. Okay, so how long from the moment you started with your, with your virtualist or your transcriber through the editing process, what was the timeline from inception to on the shelf? Oh, wow. Um, so the first year after my brain operation, I'm still writing this book, yeah? Okay. And uh, it's for my sons. Until, because I was in bed for three months, I grew six fast cancers from my remaining left kidney. So a year later, I'm in the pool. I'm rehabilitating still. And in front of me, I've got this diagnosis of doctors telling me, Chris, you've got to have these cancers removed, ASAP. They've taken off. I don't know if you're going to have a cancer battle after this. I don't know if your kidney is going to survive removing six cancers. You might be on dialysis. Doom and gloom. And I'm, I'm in this pool rehabilitating, thinking to myself, holy, I've just gone in a journey of learning how to walk and talk for eight months. My, my, I've got so many defects going on. Half my tongue doesn't work. I'm tone deaf. All these things are now the byproduct of that operation, but they were way worse before. I wasn't tone deaf. I was completely deaf on my right ear. My tongue didn't half work. It just, I couldn't even talk. It was affecting my speech. My half lung didn't work. It was really bad. So I'm there in this scenario and the height of my worst moment in life, I've got this outlook that's a disaster. And I've got that song playing, playing in the background over, over. That's all I played playing over and over and over. And the song was just drilling in my head. I'm running, trying to run in the pool because I'm learning how to walk properly. And I'm about to confront this adversity again and maybe be dead again. And I thought, fuck, what if I, who, no one knows the future. No one knows the future. Why am I buying a future that no one, this is all just estimates, predictions, guesswork. I don't have to accept this. What if I dare hope that the best is yet to come? Why don't I look forward to the life ahead of me that it's the best? And that was the most pivotal moment in my life because I went from a $4 million house to a $16 million house eight months later. I go off to double my business, 
from 8 million to 16 million. I go off to do all these things. And now I'm in America taking it to another level. Outstanding. Outstanding. So you've mentioned medical a few different ways. Oh, oh, you, oh, oh. Oh, 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 I want to answer the question though. So that was the situation I'm in. And when I was in the hospital room, that's year one, by the way. When I went in the hospital room and I, and I bargained for my life because things were not looking good, that's when I decided to take my story public. And since that moment of taking the story public, I wrote the book initially because I didn't want to give any advice to my sons because I didn't want them to hate me from the grave. And then uh, during the year, so that was year one, and then taking the story public, I didn't want to just share my story. I wanted to share the lessons. I wanted to share the things that have transformed my life. So I hired a resilience consultant, Joe, and I said to her, can you please read my book and put a spotlight on how I respond to adversities compared to a more common response? Because I don't know. I just keep bouncing back. I keep bouncing back stronger. I know it. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I'm doing it. Can you read my book? She read my book five times. Instead of having those one or two Zoom sessions, we ended up having 26 Zoom sessions. And then from that, we unearthed 11 distinctions. We gave those to instructional designers, of which then they came back to me with the five life lessons that I shared in the book. Make really clear is there's a reason why your book is called Near Death Lessons. So let's talk about for a second from your background point of view. Tell us about some of the diagnoses you've had all the way back from your teenage years. I just want people to really get clear that this isn't metaphorical. This isn't being dramatic. Mm -hmm. It's real as far as far as what you've been through. Well, I think it's very easy for someone like how how often does an artist say, oh, my gosh, I'm dying over this or and what they're really doing is mm -hmm. catastrophizing. But that's your reality. So if you don't mind, take a second. Yeah. And tell us a little bit of doctorish, sure. but give us the the maybe the layman's terms of it. But what have you been diagnosed with? What have you been going through? And what are you surviving? Sure. So um, I also I also run through the eight uh, near death experiences because I know a lot of people don't normally survive that many. I'm hoping I'm not a cat. <laughs> uh, uh, but the um, uh, I'll run them because it's hard to, I mean, every time I speak to some people that say, I've never come across anyone with more than four near-death experiences or something. So to have somebody with eight, it's like, holy, like people don't survive the things that I've gone through. Some of the things I go through is enough to break one person. So, so you could imagine how strong you got to become eventually. But look, this isn't, the person who's speaking right now called Chris Jankolovsky is somebody that survived unbelievable challenges but at the beginning i was too a victim i for 13 years i lived a broken disempowered victim person of my circumstances it took a lot of battles for me to finally turn things around but anyway so at the age of 19 we went to a specialist clinic to understand what was causing tumors from the age of 16 in my eyes because 16 year olds don't just form tumors in your in, in their eye and so the doctor was puzzled so why would you be forming tumors in your eye normally 70 year olds and so on so in the room there's these older people and then there's this young 16 year old kid <laughs> and so 
It took him about three, four years to, to start questioning this and try to understand how we're going to understand this. And there was this new genetic testing going on. So I had the genetic test done. They said, good news, we found the reason why you're getting the tumors. Now you have to see this specialist. So at the age of 19, I drove myself to this place and I went there and uh, it was a very different kind of clinic. I remembered because it wasn't like a typical hospital clinic. It felt like a lawyer's room. But anyway, I went there. I spoke to this guy and he goes, Chris, all right, you've got this thing called von Hippolindo's syndrome. Yeah, right. It's a hereditary condition. means maybe your mom and dad have got it. I go, no one's got it. Okay. He goes, look, this thing forms tumors, cysts, sometimes cancerous in all your major organs. Uh, the average life expectancy is 30. So you're probably going to have a short life. Uh, and you've probably got cancers now. I don't know what more to tell you, but this is a new condition that we are learning right now. I wish you all the very best. Mate, no flyers, no support, nothing. I was like, what? How do you know I'm going to be dead for 30? What do you mean? I've got cancers now? Oh, wait a second. I don't know anyone who's had cancers. And you, you, you just gave me this bombshell and you tell me to go? What the? <laughs> that was my brutal wake-up call. And I went to my car. I cried. I didn't know what to do. And as a 19-year-old, I did what every other 19-year-old would do. When something's that overwhelming, I couldn't relate to anyone with this problem. I told my parents, I told my friends, couldn't connect with anyone about this. I've been told I'm dead 30, none of you are. And I just decided to ignore it. I thought if I pretend that deep, deep down, if I never got this, perhaps it would disappear. So that's what I did. So I ignored it from the ages of 19 to 32 when a first brain tumor finally caught up. And when that brain tumor got, uh, it almost killed me. It, uh, it was so big, five centimeter. I mean, I had to contour my body to go to the toilet and had these weird electrical shocks running down my spine. When that operation uh, happened, I, I, when I got the diagnosis, I looked at the sky and I just said, and that was the time that I transformed. I looked at the sky and I said, God, kill me. I've had enough of living this victim life. I've had enough of being disempowered, always reacting to my circumstances. Fuck this. Excuse my French because I know this ain't, you know, published. Uh, you're going to write it, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and I said, like, mate, I, I choose to focus on life. I choose whatever happens. I know, I don't, I know I'm going to get out of this operation. I know I've been told I might have symptoms. I might be on a wheelchair. I might not be able to walk properly. I might not be able to move my hands. Whatever. I'm going to choose life. I'm going to choose to make the most of whatever life I have, but I'm not living like that anymore. Mate, I draw the line right there. So that was a pivotal moment. So my eight near death experiences start from the age of seven and, uh, and have uh, ended at 44. I'm now 50, so I've had a good run for the last six years. Okay. Uh, seven years at age seven, not related to this hereditary condition, uh, an appendix burst in my, you know, almost killing me two weeks in the hospital at the age of seven. At the age of 21, I almost drowned. I inhaled water. I was caught in a rip, and I went, I had my life flash before me, the whole thing from 21 all the way down to, to, to a newborn, and all important moments and relationships flashed before me. It was a very peaceful, surreal state. But that's not where my first uh, transition of the typical – that was a typical near-death experiences. But one of the first times I crossed over – out-of-body kind of experience and a different time dimension that I felt was 
a few years later, 25, when I got, when I woke up, you know, in a, when I woke up in an eye surgery of all things, in a surgery, I felt the needles sliding on my eye like on an egg and then poking in. <laughs> it was, ugh. I heard the radio and the music and everything going on. And, um, and they must have overdosed me or something because when I woke up, they just, you know, just, how many more? Get, get any more. And then when I woke up, I woke up and my, uh, I, I flatlined. I didn't know why I flatlined. I, I was looking down slightly, like I see the buzzer was on my hand. I could see the machine flatlining until everything went white. And then I felt like I, 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 I was in a different time dimension. I, I just felt like, whoa, where am I? Like, let's go. Hey, I'm not going anywhere. It's my sister's wedding soon. And then I snapped back into life again. Uh, with with the nurses all about to zap me. Um, so that was at 25. And then at 32 is the one that I just mentioned with the brain tumor. And then two months later uh, was the removing of my right kidney because it was occupied by cancers, large, some, some as large as four and a half, five centimeters, which is way too dangerous. They're all very aggressive. Right kidney removed. The reason why I call that a near-death experience as well is because, well, I survived cancer battle. And it didn't spread. It killed my dad. It killed my dad. Well, it didn't kill me. And then two years later, I had to remove four large cancers from my remaining left kidney. Survived that. Didn't spread. Didn't go any worse. Continued living my life for a decade later. Then another uh, six kidneys were removed. Uh, six cancerous kidneys were, were mentioned. Uh, but obviously, before that one was the second brain operation to remove two tumors in the head. And that was the most serious of them all. Wow. That's the thing I really want all of us to be thinking about is whenever we're frustrated or worried or aggravated, look what Chris has been through. And he's still full of energy and smiling and happy and optimistic. And the good news is your book, Near Death Lessons, is teaching us how to carve that same path, how to get past our problems to a better future. So Chris, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And now let's, I, I just, I'm, I'm, my mind is spinning thinking about what you've been through and the fact that you're still so focused and so ambitious and optimistic. Let's talk about a deliberate life. I would love to know, mm. you mentioned it in your book, what does a deliberate life mean to you and what are the main steps? How do we get there? Look, so I have always nearly died, came back to life. And every time that happens, it's like a reset button in my heart. Everything I get, something happens here. And then everything I hold true gets reevaluated. Re Everything's up for grabs. My values, my behaviors, my patterns, everything is up for grabs because I'm back again. Oh, no, I almost died. No, 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 but I'm back. No, but I was, I but I'm back. Man, you go through many of these experiences. Four of them did nothing for me. I was laughing. You know, me and my mates were joking about, oh, I nearly drowned, mate. <laughs> hey, I, I crossed over the other side. I overdosed. Anyway, but the other four were serious, deadly, brutal, brutal. Like shattered spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically to get back from those. Those ones transformed me. They're the ones that are real near-death experiences. The real near-death experiences versus a close call is what the other ones were. These were near-death experiences. A near-death experience transforms you. 
That's why a lot of people who have these near-death experiences are transformed. They're never the same again because everything you've been holding true gets reevaluated, and therefore all that, all the all the shit of fears, insecurities, all gets withered away. And and what remains is what's most important and true. And so for me, every time I go through these experiences, I get like on an onion layer experience. I get more and more to the core of who I am and who we are. All of us, including me, are remarkably powerful. I can't believe the more I get to me and the core of my authentic me, the more energy, the more life, the more vibrancy, the more drive, the more of everything is there. I don't get it. I've always been spending money looking for advice and solutions outside myself. And deep down, the biggest lessons I've learned in my life was when I meditated in silence for three weeks in India. Silence. And every time I nearly die, I go into this black, black void of vibrancy, energy, and I don't understand why I'm still consciously present. But then when I return, and now I know I'm going to say something really kind of taboo, but life and death coexist in my mind. Because when I close my eyes, and I'm in this black void. If I can meditate to a point where I'm outside of my sense of skin, brain patterns, feelings, and just be presently alert of my awareness. Man, that's the same space I go to when I'm in a different time dimension. Hence why I believe that life and death coexist. And that fuels me. That just fuels me even more because my mortality and our mortality is what should fuel all of us. Why, who are we to take our time for granted here? Who the hell are we? These biological creatures present in this time of era of this time, this drop of time that we have. Here we are. How selfish of us to be caught up in our own doubts and fears and insecurities. We are so much more than that. That's all made up shit in our head. Very well if said. We embrace, if, very, if we embrace our true power, which we have, there is no doubts and insecurities. There is just this magic and energy in us that, that wants to drive, follow that drive, follow that energy. Don't restrict it. Don't sugarcoat it or, or guess it. Feel it. Because our heart and our connection to this greater abundance out there of knowledge doesn't communicate in words. It communicates in feelings. And, and, and glimpses of vision. So associate to what you see and what you feel. Know that it's right. Your instincts. Why would birds fly halfway around the world then turn around? There wasn't somebody calling the birds saying, hey, this is God. There's a bushfire where you normally go. Turn around. No. <laughs> they're using instincts. And we've got them as well. But we, we, we don't know how to listen to them. We don't know how to hone in on it. We don't know how to really say respond to it. You know, I've survived many battles because I've responded to it. When a, when a preacher and, I, and me once sat down at a coffee shop in Australia, which was funny, because he's all this, you know, fancy, I'm a preacher kind of guy. He goes, Chris, <laughs> where's your church? You know, smart ass kind of comment. Like, you know, I don't go to church. What do you mean? Where's my church? The fucking hospital. Excuse my French again. I said, I said to him, the hospital, because that's where I am mostly religious, mostly spiritual, because I am forced to. 
Because that's when I'm confronting my mortality again. And that's when I'm in silence. That's when I'm immersed in, 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 in this heightened state of awareness. And that's when I heal. Uh, so, so how I live a deliberate life, because of these adversities, and I keep coming back to life, and I want to optimize. Like, I, I've got anxiety if I was to listen to Steve Jobs, live as if it's your last day of life. I get anxiety. I can't be strategic. I can't plan. I, I, I'm always challenged every year with my scans. So I, I, the way I play this game is every year when I get an MRI scan for my brain and spine and kidneys and all this stuff, when I get the results of those scans towards the end of the year, I see them as like a certificate to go live life to the fullest. So I get this scan results. I go, yes, I've got a, I've got a free run. And then that following next year, I'm bolting. I'm 100%. I've got one more year to live. I see every year as if it's another year to live. And what I've realized over 30 years of doing this is that, well, actually, no, 20, 15, 20 years of doing this, is that I can't live deliberately. So I can't live my life to the fullest every year unless I'm living deliberately. And I can't live deliberately unless I have clarity with what I want to do, because otherwise I'm spending time on all these things that aren't important. I'm running around chasing my tail and bullshit. I'm getting influenced by all these people everywhere. I'm not optimizing my most valuable resource, my time, our time. So focus, clarity on my desires became my number one job. And then I realized after focusing and spending so much time on what do I really want? Why would, if this is truly my last year, why would buying that boat matter? Why would contributing to that society or whatever matter? Why would running this business matter? Why would having a lot of wealth matter? Why would all this shit matter? I question it deeply. So that stuff. And then when I question it deeply, I grabbed a piece of paper that it was an image that represented my goal. I linked my goal to an image and I put it on a board because visually I know that the only way my subconscious re 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 relates to this is by image and feeling. And then I figured dynamite right there. Now, I know people call it whatever, um, vision boards, but they've got it all wrong. You've got to really link an image to a goal. That image needs to excite you. That image needs to be something that you're going to be like, driven every time you see it. you're like yeah you're gonna be reminded most of the challenges we have when we make new year's resolutions is we forget about them so this simple concept helped me get clear about my goals my desires my reasons why i want to pursue it linked an image to it not a plan just an image and put it on the board not too many categorize them and all i know is that that simple solution allowed me to focus my energy throughout the whole year, my drive to a whole year towards some of these things. And you know what? The results, mate, don't matter. What matters is that I did not live my life ignoring this, that I did teeny tiny steps along the way. I tried to do it. And you know what? Whether I failed at it, I'd rather fail than never even trying to go after it. And what was shocking at the end of every year without this bias of, or, or oh, I really went off, failed at this. Was what I loved most about doing this year on year is that I'm always surprising myself. Outstanding. Fuck, I, 
I did that. Oh my God, I went so far and I did that. You mention in the book near the end, I don't want to, I don't want to tell anyone where, but you give us a, a, a gift. Can you, can you tell us, and I, I don't want, it's, it's a free gift, it's in the book, so I don't want you to reveal the whole thing. But for those who are about to go buy it right now after this conversation, can you give us a sneak peek, a tease as to what is in that gift? Look, I, I, I wanted to, since I'm talking about life so much and, and living life to the fullest, which is what I've done for so many years, and, and as a result, I've accomplished many of my dreams time and time again. Um, I just wanted to demonstrate and I wanted to show people that, to me, the 10 things that were often affecting me and stopping me from living a life to the fullest. I know there's a lot of people who've got opinions on this. I know there's a lot of, it's a personal thing. Mm -hmm. Living life to the fullest is, you know, it's, it's like asking the question, what does success mean to you? You know, it's different for everyone. <laughs> and, um, and so is living life to the fullest. But for people who are driven, successfully, uh, success-orientated, success ambitious people, they would relate mostly to those. Because, the, because that's who I am, and I still am. I'm like other people who fight cancer battles and stuff seem to back out and say, you know what, I want to spend more time with my family. I want to smell the roses. I want to, you know, do, I'm the opposite. I want to press the accelerator of life even harder because I know I'm not getting out of here alive. So I, I want to see how far I can go. <laughs> and, and I want to see the kind of impact I can make because I don't want to just pass and never even be known that I even existed. I don't think none of us want to be forgotten like that. And yes, I remember this friend of mine who told me, Chris, but, you know, who cares, mate? You're, you're just another offshore staffing company. You're just another guy talking with a book, you're, whatever. I go, yeah, but, mate, I got to inspire that person. I got to employ that person. I made a difference to that family. Mate, yes. I've employed all these people. Yes, I've done all these things, but you know what? I'm always focused on the one because that's what matters. That one. He's a, he lives right now in this time of era as I do. Yeah, I know I can't help the person maybe 2,000 years from now moving forward and they'll never know I existed. Same with the person I helped. Same with their whole generations of families after them. Say so many. Fine. Like, look at that. Michael Jackson passed away. How many young people even? Michael Jackson, who's he? Right? I get it. Who cares about the legacy of the long term? But let's try to do something right now. And so you can't. So living life to the fullest means you're embracing your true power. You're embracing and optimizing your most important resource, your time. You're, you're embracing the fact that you've got an ability to create. We all have. We've got an ability to, to execute. You know why? Because I'm 80 kilos. I can move this 80 kilo body around. I know what it's like to not be able to move. I also know what it's like to not be able to use your hands and wipe your own butt or take care of yourself or brush your own teeth. So if we can do these simple things, we can achieve our dreams. That's as simple as that. If we've got the right mindset, if we stop responding to life as if we have got no control, if we are always victims of it, I've been thrown these incredible blows from the universe. So many battles outside of my control. I refuse to not take responsibility. I actually take responsibility. Look, the tumors happen genetically. 
but I take responsibility. It's a game, okay? It's just a game. It's a game of self-empowerment. I do everything and anything I can do to make a self-empowerment statement to myself, not to somebody else, to me. I need to convince me, me, my brain. Chris Janklovsky's book, Near Death Lessons, is on Amazon now. What I love is we scroll down, there's five-star reviews, there's dozens of them. We look at the customer reviews, we see the book reviews, how many people have been inspired by this book, have changed their life by this book. And as we hear Chris talk, Chris, we, we hear the passion and the excitement and the inspiration in your voice. It's amazing. It's, it's As I said a second ago, it's addictive. So your new book, Near Death Lessons, if we want more from you, where do we find you? What's your website? Where do you find you on social media? Where can we get more, Chris? Sure. So I'm building chrisjanklovsky.com. I never thought I'll ever use my surname, but because all these media attention and everything is coming to my, my personal name. So you can go to chrisjanklovsky.com, ideally, and then you'll be able to access other things. Uh, I am going to put... a uh, Chrisj. Um, I can't get the dot com, but something else in the future. So I will let you know when mm. we'll re redirect. So it'll be a, the longer version and a shorter version for you. Chris, I, I I wish you huge success with the book Near Death Lessons. I think there's so many lessons about either launching a new life or breaking through. It then mentioned it's a great New Year's uh, gift. I can absolutely see that. Because you're a father, it's a great Father's Day gift. I can't imagine any dad out there who doesn't want to page through this thing and break through and learn and become an inspiration for their kids. And so you are an inspiration. Your energy is great. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think everyone, you've, you've made all of our lives, all our days better, brighter, happier with your energy. So thank you for being oh, here. Wow. Thank you for sharing energy with us. Uh, thank you, mate. Thank you for having me in Okay, and big thank you. That is the end. Thank you to today's guest, Christian Klavsky. Thank you to our production team for your editing and help. And thank you to you for listening to the episode. I'll see you next time. <laughs>